All right. Hey, welcome to the podcast. You are listening to the Reversing Diabetes with the Lane MD podcast. That was this is episode number 217 and that was the cures. Friday I'm, I'm in love. It is a Friday and I'm feeling fabulous and I hope you are too. And we are broadcasting on YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, that's awesome. I will answer any comments or questions that go onto YouTube at the end. Um like I may have to answer them in writing, I will try to get them back up, but sometimes it doesn't let me unless I have the window up and I don't have the window up because I shut it down because I didn't want to hear myself talking. So my dog's moaning because it's Friday. Apparently I am sure that if I had a legal team, the legal team would tell me you should not use the cures Friday. I'm in love without asking if I anger the cure and catch their attention, I am doing something right. Um, but that was the cure. Clearly that was not me singing and that is not, I am not reproducing that as mine. I am giving all credit to the cure. So, all right, welcome to the reversing diabetes with Delane MD podcast. This is episode number 217. I'm Delane Vaughn. I'm a board certified family practice doctor, a former emergency room nurse, a veteran healthcare provider, and the host of this podcast. This podcast is for women who are not ready to let go of their longevity, their vitality, and their vigor. It's for women who know that life is a gift, and we're not ready to start the downward spiral of letting that go. They understand that type 2 diabetes and those diagnoses of prediabetes and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and all of these different things are a threat to the gift of life, and they are wanting to turn that around. These, this podcast is for badass women who do amazing things in all sorts of other hard parts of life, and they can't seem to stop eating chocolate cake. If that's you, let's talk. Today, we're going to talk about questions. We're going to talk about what happens when our brain is asked questions, kind of the neuroscience behind that and the cognitive science behind that. And then we're going to talk about how to use questions in an effective way so that we can put our brain to work on how to fix this diabetes business. But before we get started, I do need to give you my disclaimer. If you have been medicated for your type 2 diabetes, please, please, please be very careful if you make the dietary changes that I recommend in this podcast. You have been medicated for the way you have eaten in the past, and if you change the way you eat, you're going to need to change your medications. If you do not do that, you can get very sick, the kind of sick that looks like ending up in the emergency department, ending up hospitalized even ending up dead. I'm serious. I don't want to be super hyperbolic about this, but you can get very, very ill. And I need you to understand that. I need you to call the provider who's given you these meds. And I need you to get a clear line of communication open with them about how you're going to relay your blood sugar readings to them and how they're going to tell you to change your medications. You need to get a very clear line of communication open with them to keep yourself safe. Okay, so I need you to understand that if you've been medicated for your type 2 diabetes, please be very careful making these changes and talk with your doctor and know how you're going to communicate with them. I also want to ask you if you're getting benefits from this podcast, if what you're hearing on this podcast is helping you reverse your type 2 diabetes and live a naturally healthy life, please share it. The studies say nine out of 10 Americans are getting sick have evidence on biomarkers of illness related to the food that we eat. Okay. So that means nine out of 10 of the people that you know, likely need to hear the stuff that's in this podcast. So share this information with everybody, you know, so that they can get the same help that you're getting. You can also follow me on Instagram, follow me on Facebook, Delane MD in both of those places, rate the podcast, share the podcast, follow me, 
get involved. There is a Facebook group, the Delane MD Reversing Diabetes Facebook group. Great group of ladies that are super helpful. Get involved with that group. Go ask for admission into the group. I'll let you in. And there's a great community of women there who are on the same journey as you. You have access to me. You can ask questions. They answer. I answer. Just a really great community in there. Go join that group if you're really interested in getting started and putting this diabetes business behind you. Lastly, I am offering diabetes reversal assessment calls. So if you're a woman with type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes and you're worried and you're frustrated and you're confused about why you can't seem to fix it, set up one of these calls. These are 45-minute calls where you and I discuss your specific obstacles to reversing your type 2 diabetes. By the end of the call, you'll have some clarity on what your biggest obstacles are and why you haven't been able to overcome them. If you're interested, we can talk more about how we work together, how you get the coaching help you need, both in a group and in private setting. Okay, if that's what you're wanting to do to reverse your type 2 diabetes, we can talk about how you can get involved with that. So before we dive into questions, I know, I know, I know it's all these things and I try to cut this down, but there's information I want you to have. I have recorded with a number of really amazing, helpful women. I have recorded a number of coaching calls, essentially. They are calls. I've uh, recorded them in the podcast setting um, that these women have been agreeable enough to get on a call and be coached, make themselves vulnerable. I feel like co coaching can be very vulnerable. We can feel very exposed. And they have agreed to do that and have it played back in the podcast for everybody to hear so that they, everybody can see how coaching works. So that is going to be coming up in future podcasts. So there's going to be kind of a change to the format over the next couple of months about the podcast and how it's presented. So um, be prepared for that. These clearly have been pre-recorded, so there won't be live broadcasting on YouTube as this podcast is being broadcasted live right now. Um, that won't be happening. They will be posted on YouTube, but they won't be broadcasted live. So there are going to be a few podcasts in the next few months that are just posted, not broadcasts, broadcasted. So keep an eye on that. If you ever have questions, there are so many opportunities. You can email me, Delane at DelaneMD.com. I feel like listening to the live broadcast give you an opportunity to ask questions if you have questions of me. You can join the Facebook group. You can ask me questions on Facebook. You can social, you know, send me a direct message on Instagram or Facebook to ask me a question. You can post on my Instagram posts for any question. You can go to my Facebook lives, go to my Instagram lives to ask me questions. All of this is available. You are not hanging free in the air, like just waiting there without any guidance. I'm here. It is my mission to help everyone who wants to be without type 2 diabetes be without type 2 diabetes. That's what I am here for. So I try to make myself as available to everybody as possible. So if you have questions, make sure you're following me on those other platforms so that you can ask them, especially over the next few months as there's gonna be kind of a change in the format and um, the live broadcasts won't be there. So that's, I think all the housekeeping stuff. So today we are gonna talk about questions, all things questions and why they are important and how lots of women will use them and how is a more functional, powerful way to use them. So many of you may be aware that the main tool that I use to help women and to coach women is the thought model. It's based on a number of neuroscience and cognitive science principles, including confirmation and the idea that the brain is a predictive 
machine, okay? So what do I mean by confirmation bias? Confirmation bias is the tendency of the brain to look for evidence of what it already believes. It will overemphasize the importance of that evidence because it wants to prove what it already believes. In the course of this, do, doing this, of course, leads to judgments that are based on biases and not necessarily based on evidence and objective evidence, okay? So there can, this is what we call cognitive um, distortions. We can get cognitive distortions because that are kind of based on this confirmation bias, okay? So the brain also works as a prediction machine. I would offer to you that is the primary thing the brain does. If you think about our organs, you know, we have the heart and its job is to pump, it's a pump. It pumps fluid, it pumps blood, nutrients, oxygen around to our organs. The liver detoxifies, the kidneys filter, the lungs breathe, they bring air in, they exchange it for carbon dioxide and they release carbon dioxide. The brain is an organ and it doesn't beat, it doesn't pump, it doesn't breathe, it doesn't filter, it doesn't detoxify, it thinks. That is what the brain does. I always remind people, some people are like, well, I want my brain to stop thinking. I wish I could shut it down. I'm an overthinker. And I'm like, the only brain that isn't thinking is the dead brain. Kind of like the only heart that isn't beating is the dead heart, right? So the brain thinks and it's a prediction machine when it's thinking. It's taking in all of this information through various sensory organs. So our eyes, our ears, it's taking in sound, it's taking in what we see, it's smelling things. Right now, I have potatoes cooking downstairs and I'm actually having the thought, I can smell them up here. Are there, are my potatoes burning, right? It's taking in information via our sensory organs, my brain is, and it's making a prediction. It has a thought, the way that the brain formulates that prediction is in a thought, okay? The brain is constantly and instantly updating our prediction models. This is the job of the organ of the brain. So it is possible to condition your heartbeat. It's possible to condition your respiratory function. And it's also possible to condition your prediction model, your thoughts, your prediction machine the way that we think, okay? One way, one exercise for conditioning your beliefs, your thoughts, your predictions is to use the thought model to start looking at what is happening, what the predictions are creating, to see how your brain is creating the results that you're getting in your life, okay? The thought model is a framework to hang what is happening from your brain so that you can look at it in a functional way, gain some awareness and see what's being created. I like to always use the example of thoughts of, I love it, I want it. I, it's my favorite thing ever to get this thing. I like that thing. We always, the thing being food, right? Like I like the Twinkies, I wanna eat the Twinkies, they're my favorite. That creates, when you have a thought, I like chocolate. It creates your brain, relays that information to your body as a vibration in your body. That, and, and you'd call it desire if you, you'd call it want, right? Like I want it, that's desire. When anybody says, oh, I saw the chocolate in the break room. I'm like, yeah, what'd you, what'd you feel when you saw it? And they're like, I want it, right? That's desire. That feeling, that vibration in your body is desire. So your brain 
has a prediction about chocolate that it sees and it relays that prediction, it's my favorite, to your body through a feeling. That feeling is desire. And every time that you have that feeling of desire, if you're reaching for the chocolate and eating the chocolate, you're creating a result and more evidence about how much you love chocolate. That's how this thought model works. Anywhere you bring the thought, God, I love chocolate, it's my favorite, you're gonna produce that evidence, okay? So let's break down the thought model. You have circumstances, the C line, you have the T line, that's the thought or the prediction. You have feelings, you have actions, and you have results. The circumstances are the information your sensory organs are bringing in. What you see, what you feel, what you smell, what you taste, all of those things. Those are your sensory organs bringing in information about circumstances. You have thoughts or predictions based on those sensory inputs. And then those thoughts are relayed to your body in the form of feelings. And then those feelings drive actions and those actions give you the results which usually support the original thought, okay? They in some way are related to the original thought. Sometimes we do have cognitive distortions that create what's called thought models to where the thing that we're creating, the result that we get is actually the exact opposite of our thought. So that's kind of thought modeling 2.0. But for the most part, there is some connection between the things that we think and the results that we create. And the reason that that is is because our brains function under this thing called confirmation bias, okay? So, it, remembering that it is our brain's job to think, frequently how our brain offers us our thoughts is in the form of questions. And sometimes these questions can be very functional and other times they are incredibly the anti, they are blocking any function, okay? so. The main way that I see the blocking, or one of the first ways that I see the blocking of a thought, or how a thought can block us from getting results, is when our brain offers us a prediction or a thought in the form of a question, okay? Two things happen here. One, it creates some confusion. Two, it puts our brain to work to find the answer to that question, which may be like a red herring, may not even be relevant to what's going on, okay? So when our brain puts thoughts out as questions, puts predictions out as questions, the brain keeps us confused in that place and we can't, we can't move forward, okay? So if your doctor gives you a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, that means one, you heard with your ears, that sensory organ heard your doctor say you have type two diabetes, or your eyes saw on your lab portal that you had an A1C of 5.9 or 6.9 or eight or 12 or whatever ridiculousness it might be. Your input, your sensory input brought information and your brain made a prediction about it. Now, if your brain offers that prediction and what do I do? Like if that's the way your brain offers you that prediction in that form, what do I do? How do I fix that? What will I eat? How did I get here, right? Your brain then goes to work in trying to create answers, right? What do I do? What should I do? Like you have all these different ideas. I can take meds. I can go and uh, eat Mediterranean. I can eat keto, maybe. 
Or sometimes it's like, I don't know what to do. How, you know, how can I do that? Sometimes the brain gives it in the form of a question where the real answer though is, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, you know, there are all these things I could do. I don't know what to do. Okay. Many times when our brain puts thoughts or predictions in the form of a question, all it does is create confusion. If you're going to a restaurant and your brain, again, is taking input, my A1C is this, and the doctor said, eat less carbohydrates. And you're trying to take those two pieces of input and create like how you're going to manage the restaurant. I don't know what I'm going to eat there. What, what am I going to eat there? What am I going to do? What am I going to get off the menu? It creates that confusion. Okay. There are other questions <laughs> that our brain gives us that leads to shame, guilt, and defeat. And these are, again, not horribly helpful. When am I going to figure this out? How come I can't do this? What's wrong with me? If you're asking your brain those questions, your brain's job is to think and find an answer. If you ask your brain, when am I going to figure this out? Your brain's going to give you like, I don't know, you haven't yet. How come I can't do this? Well, let me give you all the reasons you can't do this. You can't do it because you like chocolate. You can't do it because you like fries. You can't do it because you like going out to eat with your family. You can't do it because you're overwhelmed with work. You, your brain's going to give you all of the reasons that you can't do it. If you ask your brain what's wrong with me that I can't figure this out, it's going to be like, you have no self-control. You got no self-discipline. You can't seem to figure it out because you don't know what to do. Maybe you're not smart enough. Your brain's going to give you a bunch of really dumpy answers to questions like that. And it's not helpful when you're trying to make a solution to this issue. Those answers make you feel shame and they make you feel guilt. They make you feel defeated. And they don't bring you any answers there's no help there's no help in those answers there's only shame guilt and defeat that's not going to get you there okay so there is a helpful way and this unhelpful way of having questions of using questions in your life women will very frequently feel confused about what to do or they'll feel shameful and guilty about what they do okay and frequently the confusion comes because we're trying to make a prediction based off of a a we're trying to decide what to do based off of a prediction that's in the form of a question. It's just confusing. Or we feel shame and guilt because our brain is going to work to find answers that feel horrible. There's no great action that's gonna come from this experience, okay? So let's consider how to use questions in an effective way. And again, like, how do you know if you need to shift from what your brain is asking from those questions to these other questions, how you know is if you're feeling confused, if you're feeling shame, if you're feeling guilt, that's how you know those questions are not functional. Those are never going to lead to results that you like and long-term results. When you feel shame or defeat, you can frequently coerce yourself into doing something else, but you're a grown ass woman and you will not do or suffer coercion, you won't live with co coercion in your life long-term, okay? So if you're asking yourself questions that make you feel those dumpy feelings, they are not gonna get you long-term results that you want in your life, okay? So let's consider, I feel like this is one of the major differences between what we do in coaching and what we do in other commercial or diet programs, right? Diet programs will ask you things like, what did you eat? They focus on the answer about what to eat. 
coaching asks questions, why did you eat that? Let's figure out why you ate it and how do we do it differently? Let's figure that part out because I think that's long lasting results, right? Like that's what a coach will tell you. So if you're asking yourself again, if you're asking self questions, why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? Will I ever figure it out? Those are old dumpies. Those make you feel horrible. Stop doing that. Helpful questions that you can ask yourself, things that coaches will ask you, things that I ask my clients, why? Why is one of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself and asking it five times to make sure you get all of the possible answers is really helpful. If you, you know, it's the weekend, it's Friday, I'm in love, right? It's the weekend. So I'm, you know, lots of women come to me on Monday disappointed with themselves about what happened over the weekend. So if you went out on Friday night or on Saturday and you went out for brunch and you had pancakes and waffles or whatever it was, or a muffin or whatever it was, a milkshake in the afternoon, whatever it was that spiked your blood sugars up. Why did you eat that is going to be my first question. And your brain's going to be like, oh, because it looks so good. And I'll be like, why did it look so good? And you'll be like, because it's my favorite. I love waffles with strawberries on them. Why did you think that you had to eat what you loved? Because I couldn't possibly go without having it. I was just so much desire. I felt so much drive to eat it. Why do you think you felt the drive to eat it? Well, I felt the drive to eat it because everybody else was eating it. Like I was in this restaurant and it was sitting there and everybody else was eating it. Why was that a problem to sit there and not eat it while everybody else was eating it? Because I would have felt awkward. So at that point, sometimes it will be a consistent answer. It would have felt awkward. I didn't want to desire it. I had so much desire for it. Sometimes the whys will start to be answered by a consistent problem, like a consistent answer, I guess. I desired it. And then the question, and I used to feel like this question was so harsh when I would get it from coaches, and I try not to present it harshly, but it's so powerful. The question of so what? So what if you had desire? So what if you felt awkward? So what? Why is that a problem? Why is that an issue for you? Because I want to feel accepted. Great. Do you need to eat that food to feel accepted in that company? If so, is that company you want to keep, right? Because I had desires. So what? Well, desire is uncomfortable. Yeah. How do you want to fix your type 2 diabetes when desire is going to be there? That's the power of so what? So what lets you know that this is going to be there and you still have something you want to fix? You want to change in your life? You still have a result you're trying to get? So this is going to be here. So what? How do you create this thing in your life? That is the power of that question of so what? It used to feel so harsh. I'd be like, it's horrible. Oh my gosh, everything's falling apart. My coach would be like, so what? <laughs> Don't you get it? Right? The coach gets it. Like the human part of a coach gets it. I understand what it's like to sit with wanting something that you're not going to eat. I understand the discomfort of feeling awkward and conspicuous in a group setting at a restaurant while everybody else is indulging in all the brunch yummies and I'm sitting there eating my eggs and, you know, maybe a fruit cup or a salad or something. I understand the awkwardness. But the question that moves you beyond that being the stopping point is so what? 
how do you want to manage it and not be there? Because it's not going to go away. At least it's not going to go away today, right? Other questions that are really powerful. Why am I holding on to this thought so tightly? And that goes back to the, like, why did you eat that? Because I love it. It's my favorite. It's so good. I just can't imagine Saturdays without it. I can't imagine brunch with my family without it. Why are you holding to that so tightly? What usually is underneath that is what that's creating for you. It creates connection, creates relaxation. Like I have a feeling of relaxing when it's Saturday and I'm just chilling and enjoying things. Or when it's Friday night and I'm just chilling out and eating these foods because I just don't care. And I want to just not care, right? You hold so tightly to the desire, to the wanting it, because the idea of going without it means you're going to lose something. Seeing what that is and why you hold so tightly is imperative to figuring this out long term. Then the other powerful thought, what if you let it go? What if you let go of the belief that you only love that food so much? What if you loosened your grip on that and didn't need to hold it so tightly? What if it wasn't only true that you love this food? Because what happens, that's just one part of the food. You believe you love it and you believe it's making you sick with type 2 diabetes. So what if we let go of this thought a little bit, loosened our hold on this thought a little bit so that we could start to look at the fact that, yeah, it makes me sick too. And I don't want to be sick anymore. What if at brunch when everybody's there watching you, and your brain is like, I'm so conspicuous. And you feel like you have to protect yourself from being judged from other people. And that drives you to eat these foods that make you sick. What if you let go of the fact that it matters what they think about you? What if you like to start to release that thought a little bit so that you can see actually nobody is watching me eat. Everybody else is watching their own food. Nobody cares what I'm eating. They care what they're eating, not me. And maybe they have a fleeting thought, but it is not the main thing that's happening in their experience. It's not about what I'm eating. What if that can be okay? Like, what if you can let go of this thought that's keeping you stuck to see what else is out there? Okay. So when you try to look at the questions that you're asking in your life, first, I want you to stop asking yourself dumpy questions. When you find yourself feeling confused and guilty and shame and defeated or overwhelmed, I want you to just stop. Like that feeling lets you know whatever question you're asking yourself is dumpy. Whatever prediction you're getting out of your brain, the thought that you're getting out of your brain, the answer to the question that you're getting out of your brain is not going to serve you. So just stop when you're feeling those feelings. And then I want you to ask yourself questions from a place of love and grace. Think about like you and your girlfriend in a similar situation and your girlfriend's telling you the things that your brain is telling you. But man, I was sitting there and it was my favorite thing in the whole world. And I knew I shouldn't eat it because the doctor just gave me an A1C of 7.4. And he said, stop eating these foods because they're going to make you sick. But everybody was watching me and they were all sitting there. And I felt so awkward that I just ate it. Your response to your best friend is not going to be, man, you're fucking it up. You can't seem to get it right. That's awful for you. You're never going to figure this out. <laughs> you never say those things to your bestie. You'd be so gracious. You'd be like, yeah, girl, I get it. That sounds like it was really, really uncomfortable. I totally understand why you did it that way. 
So from a place of love and grace, ask yourself the whys. Why did you do it? You didn't do it because you're never going to figure it out. You did it because there was something you were uncomfortable or unwilling to feel or fearful that you couldn't feel. Once you come to the kinder answer, it allows you to move to the solution. Okay, you ate the pancakes because they're tasty. You like them, you wanted them, and you didn't want to feel awkward. Okay, so what? What do you want to do from here with that information? Why is it a problem that you want to feel not awkward? Of course, we all don't want to feel judged and awkward. But do I want to continue to choose food that makes me sick just to avoid that feeling? Is that feeling really going to kill me? Probably not, but I'll tell you, pancakes might if you keep driving up your A1C, right? Asking yourself, what's wrong? So what did I desire the food? What's wrong with unmet desire? Asking yourself, what's wrong with being hungry? Like so many women, they won't, they don't avoid these foods because it's all it was there and they were hungry and they cannot possibly stand the idea of being hungry. What's wrong with being hungry? Why are you holding so tightly to the belief that you cannot manage hunger? You cannot manage desire. You cannot manage awkwardness. Why are you holding that so tightly? What is it? What are you protecting yourself from? What if you let it go? Put your brain to work on these answers. Let your brain go to work like a hound dog hunting down a trail, right? Let your brain go to work on these answers. Not on why you can't figure it out, not on why what's wrong with you, not on all the reasons you can't do it. That's wasted time. Put your brain to work on these answers. That's going to get you a solution. The others are never going to get you to reversing your type 2 diabetes. These questions that you're asking, these powerful, helpful questions that you ask your brain, your brain will go to work to find those answers and they will find an answer. And that will give you the information that you need to reverse your type 2 diabetes. All right, that's all I have this week. Next week, we will have a um, coaching call. So look forward to that. I do have some webinars coming up in the new month, October. I have uh, some webinars coming up. Join me on Facebook, join me on Instagram, follow me there. I do lives there at least once a week on either platform. So there's information, there's places, there's information and there's opportunity for you to get questions answered. Join the Delane MD Reversing Diabetes Facebook group and sign up for a reverse your diabetes assessment call. These calls are the first step to getting serious about why you haven't been able to fix this and how to go forward from there. All right, I hope it's been helpful. Talk to you next week, bye-bye.